The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Welcome inside another edition of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Happy to have you with us. I am the namesake. This is a podcast about high school football in the mid-Ohio Valley. Let's dive right into Ritchie County. Doddridge County knocked off the Rebels 27-18 last week. Doddridge now at 4-0. Ritchie now at 3-1. The Rebels just couldn't get out of an early 14-0 hole. They trailed at halftime. Hunter America has other talent around him. Though he is the guy to watch for Doddridge County, there's no question about that. I think what we're starting to see out of this Doddridge County team is just how much talent is around him. Looking at what America did, he ran for two touchdowns and 209 yards on 31 carries for Doddridge County. But if you look at some of the other things that Doddridge County did, Reese Burnside had a 47-yard touchdown run in the game. Griffin Devericks had 42 yards on two carries. One of those came on a wildcat look for Doddridge County. Noah Bumgarner ran for a 15-yard touchdown. So there are other weapons out there that can make things happen. So it's not all the Hunter America show. I don't know that America because of that, is putting up the kind of gaudy numbers that we had seen from him in the last couple seasons. And I don't think that's so much of a detriment to what America has done or can do. I think it's just that the wealth is being spread a little bit because there are more options there. So that's good to see for that program going forward. I think that program had had a reputation the last year or two of being a one-man show. Not so much. They really are doing a nice job, and I'm not sure they're getting the credit for it, of developing other talent and making sure other guys can keep what they've got going now. They've got a good thing going out there now, and I think that's something they deserve some more credit for than what they're getting. However, Ritchie County will emerge stronger from this their passing game is developing, too. Ethan Haught, the freshman, found Graydon McKinney for a 25-yard touchdown pass at the last play of the game. He hooked up with Gus Morrison early in the fourth quarter on a touchdown pass. It's a Ritchie County team that outscored Doddridge County 12-6 in the fourth quarter. So they were down on a 14-0 hole at the half because of two touchdown runs that Doddridge County had early in the second. They stayed in that game late, and they continue to be engaged late. Rick Haught is doing something right out in Ellenborough, and that's a team that plays four full quarters. They didn't get the result they wanted against Doddridge County, but they hung in there with one of the best teams in Class A, and I think they're going to be better for it going forward. Parkersburg South absolutely manhandled John Marshall in one of the more dominant performances I have seen in a while. Brandon Penn with six touchdowns. He threw for three of them, one to Dylan Day and two to Lana Francisco, and he ran for three more. The Patriots won 56-14. They were up 42-7 to at the half. Of their six first-half touchdowns, three of them scored on the first play of the drive. The Patriots have scored six or more touchdowns on all five of their games this year. Though they have been dominant, they haven't really had stiff opposition this year. None of South's wins are against teams with winning records, though this was their cleanest, most surgical effort, and I mean surgical. It was clean, it was crisp. The one knock people are making against Parkersburg South is the fact that they have not done it against opposition that has a winning record. My argument to that in response is the schedule is what it is. You can't change it once it's set. That's a schedule that has resembled what they've done in the past several years, but in those other years, they might have been down and the opponents were up. So there's really not a lot you can do about it at this point if you're Parkersburg South, though they will get a stiff test this week. And you have to give South credit. They dropped Brooke from their schedule and picked up Huntington, and that beefs up that schedule. There's no question about that. A big test looming for Parkersburg South is they'll take on Huntington, but that's a team that I think can really get on people's radar screens with a strong performance against Huntington if they aren't already there. PHS finished their first half with a 42-21 win over Marietta. I think the big story for Parkersburg High in this one, and it's going 
going to be a big story for them as the year goes on. They got running back Anthony Craig back. Craig was a receiver last year. He carried 21 times, 107 yards. They're going to make him their primary running back this year. And of those 21 carries, he scored on four of them. Four touchdown runs for Anthony Craig, 107 yards. And if that's a team that can get a potent and solid and consistent running game going, they got two quarterbacks that can get it done. Their weapons elsewhere are developing. Sam Potts caught a 52-yard touchdown pass from Bryson Singer. He also returned an interception, 49 yards for a score. I think this is a PHS team that is starting to click at the right time. They're on their bye week right now. And though the second half of their season isn't an easy one, uh, they'll play George Washington next week. They stay home for three straight weeks, and then their final game is across town at the Erickson Hall Sports Facility. So for PHS, the sky's the limit to what that team can do. A big 42-21 win over Marietta. Marietta finishes up at 3-2, and two, and they still have some time to get some wins. They'll play Cambridge on Friday, but they have just a gauntlet at the end of the schedule. Teams like Dover and New Philly, as they have really tried to make that schedule a lot more manageable. We'll see what comes of Marietta in the second half of their season as well. St. Mary's had a win. They defeated Calhoun County 35-20 to after struggling with Calhoun County early in that game. There's some off-field disciplinary issues, though, that could be this team's undoing. From what I'm hearing, there were some issues on the sideline during that game that need to be addressed. What I heard was told to me in some confidence, so I'm not going to pass that along. And I'm certainly not going to name names because minors are involved, but let's say this. That's a situation that the coaching staff needs to address and get right in a hurry because there are some disciplinary issues that you just can't stand. And I wish I could say that teams were disciplined on the same scale. They're not. Some teams let certain players get away with more because of what they can bring to the equation. And St. Mary's has, at times, been guilty of that in the last several years. Other teams will throw a player off the team, regardless of what it will do to that team's long-term chances for success. I think for St. Mary's, they need to set some clear boundaries, clear rules, what will we allow, what won't we allow. It's going to be interesting to see where they go, but there were, what I'm told, some off-field issues in St. Mary's win against Calhoun County that may end up being the bigger story of not just that game, but of this season. The Blue Devils can run the ball. They've got multiple guys back there doing it. It was William Steele and Dylan Patterson with more than 100 yards each for the Blue Devils. Like I said, it seems like the off-field issues may be what gets to go to St. Mary's. In addition to pass defense, Calhoun County actually outgained the Blue Devils 375 to 370. Most of that was passing yardage. They threw the ball for 236 yards against that Blue Devils secondary. So this one might have exposed them a little bit, and that's not good considering that they're going to face a Williamstown team that has thrown the ball a lot this year, a lot more than what they've done. Speaking of, they've allowed just 14 points in their four-game win streak. A big game for Ty Moore, 205 yards, four scores on the ground. They rolled to a 37-7 win over Buffalo, but they're throwing the ball a lot more than they have. St. Mary's didn't stop the pass well from Calhoun County, and if you don't stop Calhoun County's pass, the chances you're going to stop Williamstown's pass are slim and none, and slim's on its way out the door. St. Mary's needs to find some answers in a hurry, or else this thing could unravel on them like you wouldn't believe. A big win for Tyler Consolidated, and they did it with some defense. They defeated Ward County 28-14. They allowed a single touchdown in the second and third quarters and held the Tigers below 200 yards. They've not held a team below 200 total yards all season long. Mark Rucker caught a touchdown pass from Gage Huffman, ran for three more scores. He accounted for most of their offense, but they're back to 2-2, two and two, a big win for Tyler Consolidated. Positive step, playing some defense, the Silver Knights this week. Frontier is 5-0 and oh after their 47-13 win against Magnolia. We'll get into Frontier in just a second, but Magnolia, I'm hearing, there are some troubles there. They're down to just 15 players for 
for whatever reason, Magnolia High School just not coming out for football, not taking to football the way they once did, which is really uh, kind of a shame to see. You see this all too often happen to the programs that have proud traditions. It's one thing, for instance, if Tyler Consolidated has 15 guys and they struggle to field a team because of some injuries or some disinterest or whatever. No offense to Tyler Consolidated. They root from two schools that have very proud traditions, but they themselves do not have a long tradition of high school football. Tyler Consolidated has not played for a state championship. I'm not so certain that the Tyler Consolidated Silver Knights have even been in the semifinal round. They've made playoff appearances, but they've not really put any in a consistent string together. I know John Stender had some good years when that school opened, and Ryan Walton is on a pretty good run now. But if a school like that had trouble fielding a football team, you'd kind of look at it as a sign of the times, but I don't know that you'd be terribly surprised. If people realized how thin this Magnolia team was right now around the state, I think it would raise some eyebrows because Magnolia has had a proud tradition for a very long time, and they've not scored a ton of points this year. 47-13, to 13, they believe in the guys they have, but those guys are few and far between. They're going to host Monroe Central Friday. Magnolia is 0-4 right now. You look at their schedule, there just are not a lot of wins to be had on that schedule. And Monroe Central is not the Jay Sarcasa Monroe Central Seminoles. They're not what they have been in past years, much like Magnolia. But that's not going to be an easy one for them either. Monroe Central 2-3 and three after a 41-0 loss to Fort Fry last week. But you look at this Magnolia schedule, show me where are the wins at this point. The Blue Eagles have scored a combined 35 points this season in four straight losses. After Monroe Central this week, they are home against Marietta. They go on the road to St. Mary's and Tyler Consolidated. They're home against a Fort Fry team that's currently 5-0, and and then they go to Wheeling Central. It's not out of the realm, and it's actually pretty likely now that this Magnolia team is going to go 0-10 this year. So that's going to raise some eyebrows, and what I'm hearing, they've got 15 guys. They may be a team that struggles to finish the season. So we'll see how things go, and that might be a victory for them to play those 10 games, first and foremost. But Frontier, what can you say about them? J.D. Schmidt is getting a lot of attention for his play at quarterback. 7 of 12. He did throw a pick, threw a touchdown pass. Uh, Logan Brookover hold in that pass. Joel Lewis is the running back there. Uh, 116 yards on just 12 carries, 3 touchdowns. They also got a touchdown run from Noah Barnhart. Uh, they've got some weapons on that Frontier squad, and at 5-0, and this is a team that has a chance to do some really big things as they go down the stretch. They're currently number four in the Division Six Region 27 rankings. They've got Parkersburg Catholic tonight in a big, big game. River later on this year. Part of what it is for Frontier, they've, they've clicked and they've come together, but they don't have a lot of strong teams on that schedule either. Parkersburg Catholic tonight and then River in Week 10. The only games that they will play against teams with winning records. The first five opponents all had losing records, and it doesn't look like any of them are going to get above 500. Catholic and River are in the second half. They got Caldwell Valley and Monroe Central. So Monroe Central may creep above 500, but other than that, it's Catholic and River. So tonight's going to be the biggest test so far and maybe of the entire season for Russ Morris's Cougars. Speaking of Parkersburg Catholic, they found their groove in a 60-14 win. They got three rushing scores from Jeb Boyce. He returned two punts for touchdowns. Ethan Lang caught a touchdown pass and ran for a touchdown. So they are picking things up in a 60-14 win against Gilmer. They survived back-to-back losses, now have back-to-back wins. And a big showdown we'll talk about in just a bit. Wins for River and Payton City. River now 3-2. They've won three straight. They picked up a 42-22 win over Barnesville. That's a team with a winning record. That's something good for Mike Flannery's squad. They had a very tough start to the year with Bel Air and Southern out of the gate. Bel Air's 4-1, Southern 5-0. The schedule a little bit more lenient in the second half. They'll have Shady side tonight, and that won't be easy. But Riverview, Bridgeport, and Caldwell in the 
the three following weeks, have a combined three wins before that big showdown with Frontier that's going to be worth a ton of points. And that one is going to have a lot of playoff implications on it for the Pilots and the Cougars on November 1st in New Matamoros. River uh, doing some big things there. And Peyton City doing some big things. They picked up a shutout win over 100. They've won back-to-back games after losing their first three. They'll have Cameron on the road and then Clay Battelle at home before their bye week. And they have a chance to finish up against Hancock, Maryland, Bellsville, Ohio, and Valley Wetzel. So Zach Easley's club picks up a second straight win as they defeat 154 to nothing. Watch high school football live streamed wherever you are. Don't miss the Moran Construction Game of the Week on 1455 Sports. Log on to 1455media.com slash live. That's the word 14 and the number 55 for great coverage of the area's biggest games. This week's Game of the Week features Richie County on the road at Ravenswood. Kickoff is set for 7.30 p.m. Friday. Log on to 1455media.com slash live. That's the word 14 and the number 55.com slash live. It's the Moran Construction Game of the Week on 1455 Sports. Stay connected with us on Facebook, like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, answer our weekly poll question and feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. Let's take a look at last week's poll question. This is an interesting one and somewhat of a timely one. Should high school football players be allowed to participate in homecoming court and other non-football activities on game day? Why or why not? I ask this question because it seems like every year I see more and more people participating in homecoming during halftime in their football pads in full uniform. Parkersburg South this year, where I do games, Braxton Amos was the homecoming king, and those pictures indicate that he was indeed in football pads. There were a couple other football players on homecoming court. Jeb Boyce at Parkersburg Catholic was the homecoming king. And this year, and I cannot remember for the life of me where I saw it, but I saw something that I had never ever seen before during high school football, and I wish I knew where this was. I saw a high school football player leading the band as the field commander during either the pregame show or the halftime show. I had never seen a football player leading the band. I had seen football players in the band once or twice, not much. Much more common to see football players in homecoming court than in the band. I'd seen that a couple of times at some of the small schools. I'd never seen the field commander be wearing a football uniform. That was a different experience for me. So I thought, well, this is a good time to take this on. 85% of you in a poll that had 47 votes, 85% of you said high school football players should be allowed to participate in homecoming court and other activities, and 15% of you said no. I'll read some the comments. We had some good ones. These polls, by the way, are starting to get really good. I want to thank all of you for all the fine feedback and all the interesting information here. I want to start with the oldest here. Craig Dutton says, I don't see anything wrong with students taking part in homecoming activities or being multi-activity students. Most young student athletes on the homecoming court are leaders within the school and know the proper attitude needed to escort a fellow classmate for homecoming court, playing an instrument in the halftime show for the marching band, or leading his or her team out of the locker room onto the field of play. It would be an honor to see a team captain or player get an opportunity to do such a thing for their school. Matthew Wright says, biggest thing I'd see is if you have to change your game plan up and that player not being there for it. That is a very valid point. If you have to make key adjustments, uh, you might have to go seek that player out and in the heat of the moment you might forget to do that when something else comes up because that's a situation where just when you're in the middle of addressing one crisis a second crisis comes up and the message is missed and 
you realize too late. Brian Doherty says no because their focus should be on the game. Taking them out of that mindset is dangerous for strategy and can lead to injury due to lack of focus. I think lack of focus is a very valid point. That's got to be hard to zip from an intense first half of a football game to all of a sudden this person that's standing next to you that you're escorting out as part of homecoming court and during that ceremony, you've got to put all that anger, that that aggression, whatever made you skilled on the football field, you got to put that aside because you've got to be there for that person in that moment. Michael Minnick says, I have never understood the restrictions on homecoming court in particular. I'll get to that one in a second. I have a lot of thoughts there. Tara Malone says, I can see both ways of this question. Many players are great role models and leaders within the school or community. However, while it would be an absolute honor, athletes do get sidetracked about the smallest things before a game. All of these very, very valid points. When you're an athlete, you have to be laser focused on the task at hand, or you're not going to be successful. Not just at the high school level, but really at all levels. If your focus wanes, that's evident. But I like the points that Craig and Taryn in particular brought up about how a lot of those students are leaders on homecoming court. In pretty much every case that I've ever heard, homecoming court is an elected position. Those are positions that are elected by their peers, by fellow students. This is an indication, and I know some people use the term popularity contest, but it's an indication of what your peers think of you. Do they like you enough to want you to represent them on this homecoming court? You don't often see, and I'm going to go back to maybe my days or my experiences with it, I'm not trying to portend knowledge of current cliques and current who's who in schools, but sometimes you don't always see the prettiest girl win homecoming queen or the one that people think is the most popular in the class win homecoming king or queen. What you often see is just the person that's the best liked, that's maybe the most authentic. And that's something that happens more often than not, I really think. These are leaders, and I agree with Craig. I don't see anything wrong with students being multi-activity students with a caveat. As long as everyone involved knows all the demands on that student's time, and they're willing to work together to share those students and make it easier on the student. That requires cooperation among coaches and activity organizers at the school level. Because Taryn's right, it would be an absolute honor to be part of homecoming court. That's, like I said, a position that's elected usually by your peers. And I'm going to go back to what Michael Minnick said. And this is why I have some interesting back history with this. Growing up in St. Mary's, I still insist that St. Mary's does homecoming nicer than I've ever seen it done before. The pageantry, it's all about the girls. The guys are merely there by the girls' selection. The guys escort them out. The girls are the ones that get elected to be on homecoming court and to be homecoming queen or the belle of St. Mary's. There's really not a lot of role that the guy has in it other than to basically escort that person throughout the week. They ride in the back of the vehicle with them. They get them out and they, and they walk with them as part of homecoming court. But at St. Mary's, you never, ever, ever saw football players doing that. I don't know if it was a, a hard rule against that. I'm sure if someone really pushed hard enough, they could get their way in that kind of a dispute. But it was almost just an unspoken agreement that that just wasn't going to happen. You can't ask this person because they play football. Maybe someone who was ever in the position to be on homecoming court in St. Mary's could tell me if I'm going off course here. But you'd have a lot of girls that her boyfriend would be in the locker room and she that would be the natural choice at most schools to walk with that person, but she'd have to pick somebody else because her boyfriend was unavailable. So for me to grow up in that and to see that as how it's done at St. Mary's High School, I believe it's still largely done the same way at St. Mary's. And then you go to other places and you see football players in homecoming court. You see football players in the band. It was a bit of a culture shock for me at first. So for a long time, I would have answered this question as no, but it took me way, way too long to realize that my own background is why I should feel that this is a yes. 
my freshman year of high school, I was in the school play at St. Mary's High School, and I played baseball. I was on the JV team. I was essentially on our depth chart, the third string catcher, so I wasn't going to get a lot of varsity time, but I was a freshman trying to make my name in baseball, and I was also on the school play, and we barely were able to put on a play. We didn't have a lot of people, and I found myself splitting time between baseball practice and play practice. I had no idea when baseball practice was going to end. I would finish baseball practice. I would change my clothes, no time for a shower, and head over to the school and get there for play practice as soon as I could, and our director, for the longest time, didn't understand why I was always late to play practice. She knew I played baseball. I told her I played baseball. And she and my baseball coach worked in the same building. And only a few weeks in did those two actually have a conversation about sharing me and how that was all supposed to work out and what the baseball demands were on my time. I didn't know. I was a freshman. I'd never gone through that before. I think at the time, I thought the varsity and JV games were played in reverse order. You know, meaning that the JV game would be first, like it is in basketball, and the varsity game second, which is not how it is in West Virginia, for those of you that are listening from out of the state, because it is that way in some states. It's not that way typically in West Virginia. I think that there's a certain extent that you can't expect a 15 to 18-year-old to be fully able to self-advocate in that spot. You know, they don't exactly know the landscape of things. They don't know the conversations they should be having. And that was one of my biggest problems. And it was definitely not a detriment to my baseball career. I was going to do that first. That was going to be my first activity. So play practice suffered. And I felt bad because I knew I was letting down that team. And I knew that if there were baseball activities I missed, then I thought that would be detrimental to my ability to get playing time down the road. So you really have to bargain in that spot. And you really have to be able to advocate for yourself and know what questions to ask. And sometimes you just can't expect 14 to 18 year olds to know how to do that or know what questions are the right questions, what expectations are unfair, what can we work with. So I didn't realize I was doing two incompatible events, but once I got into them, I wasn't going to quit one. That's just not what I was brought up to do. I made it through. I completed the play and I was I was decent in the play. I certainly would have been better if the play was in the fall because I didn't have a fall activity and I would have been more dedicated, more devoted. I would have been more dynamic and had more time to devote to realizing what it is I needed to do to be a better actor. I was just trying to get through and tread water, get through baseball practice, get through play practice. Uh, my day would stretch a lot of times from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., uh, sometimes from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. because I would have pitchers and catchers practice at 7 a.m. And then I would go from that to school to baseball practice and then play practice from 6 to 8 or whenever baseball ended to 8 p.m. So you get home at 8 p.m., you're having dinner and trying to do some homework and start it all over again the next day. I had some extremely long days at the age of 15. I really think that the lesson in this is that if you've got students participating in multiple activities, that's good. Let them do that. I think that should be encouraged when absolutely possible. But there needs to be some cooperation between the coaches and some understanding. It's like, hey, we are sharing this young person, and these are the demands that I'm going to have, and this is what I'm going to ask, and this is what I'm going to need of this person. Where can we meet in the middle there? I think I missed a couple practices and maybe a game when the play got to the nitty-gritty because I you can't miss the performance, obviously. 
when we got to perform the play, I had to miss a couple baseball-related activities. But other than that, baseball really took precedence. And I think I did it as best I could. So for the longest time, my opinion on this wasn't reflective of that experience. It was reflective of what I'd grown up watching at homecomings. But I got to say now, the older I get and the more respect you have for what some of these student athletes and students in general are able to do, then I certainly think that you should encourage high school student athletes to have any kind of participation that they can and help them along the way to do that and do that well. So some great responses to that poll question. I think that's uh, an interesting one. I want to thank all those who responded. Taryn Malone, Michael Minnick, Brian Darty, Matthew Wright, Craig Dutton. I appreciate the comments and the feedback there. A really interesting question. And I think that I followed it up by asking a similarly interesting question for this week. This week's poll question If you were a parent, would you accept it if your child received less playing time, even if it benefited the team as a whole? Why or why not? Yes or no. If you were a parent, would you accept it if your child received less playing time, even if it benefited the team as a whole? Why or why not? And this is something that parents struggle with all the time. And this is one of those things that I think we all have to look back on our own experiences in some way, shape, or form if we haven't been in this setting in a while to kind of get our opinions on that. So that poll question will be up until early next week. So check that out, vote, and then comment why or why not on the Facebook page. Looking at the games of the week in the area, St. Mary's Williamstown, duh, pretty obvious choice, though I, I don't think St. Mary's keeps this within 14 points of Williamstown. Williamstown's thrown the ball well. The defense has stifled opponents in their four wins this season. Ty Moore has proven more than capable of picking up the slack from both Donathan Taylor and now the injured Jarrett Frazier in that Williamstown running game. I really think they roll in this game against St. Mary's. I would be shocked if St. Mary's is able to keep it close. Not because they don't have talent, but this is just not a game that I see them competing in, to be quite honest with you. I know they've had some off-the-field issues as well. That is going to be something for them to figure out and overcome, and I'm not sure that they're there yet. But at the same time, They've looked good on offense this year, but I don't know that they've got the defense that can stop what Williamstown does. Looking at the games they've had the most struggle, they struggle with Ritchie County's running game, they struggled with Calhoun County's passing game, and Williamstown can do both of those very well. It's going to be hard for St. Mary's, I think, to stay within two touchdowns in this one. Parkersburg South and Huntington, because the Patriots are going to get their toughest test of the year, and they're going to get it away from home. they got a bye week, so it would be really nice if South could get that win, and then go to the bye week at 6-0, and and you hope they stay healthy. That's another big factor. Another big thing we'll be watching is whether or not Parkersburg South can stay healthy going into that bye week. Will they have to lean on the bye week to get healthy, or can they go into that bye week in good shape and feel good about themselves for two weeks? And Huntington will not be an easy team. They're 3-1, and one, and they are primed for a run in Class AAA. Their only loss is by one point, so that's a good opponent for South. That should be a good one on Friday. And Parkersburg Catholic Frontier, just so much intrigue here. Frontier's 5-0, and oh, but if they played anybody, that's the layman's way to say that. And Parkersburg Catholic comes in 3-2 and two off of a tough loss to Ritchie County and maybe a loss where they're a little bit hungover against South Harrison. But Lance Benninger's squad's kind of back on track. And for Lance Benninger, as a Frontier alum, he's got a lot of emotion going on in this one as well. He's going up against his old high school, his old high school football coach. So we'll see how things turn out. And there are a lot of points on the table in this one for both of those schools. You know, Parkers were Catholics going to win some more games. Frontier's going to win some more games. They both badly need wins against one another to boost their positions in their respective playoff standings. The games of the week on 7 
Rangers Radio. Of course, Light Rock 93R has St. Mary's Williamstown. V96 has Parkersburg South Huntington. And WXCR has Tyler Consolidated and Webster County as the Silver Knights look to finish their first half at 3-2. and two. You can listen on SoundCloud, rate us, review us on iTunes, subscribe to us there, and download us off of iTunes. And you can get the notifications to your phone every week when there's a new episode. You don't have to ask. You don't have to check. You can just see it there. If you haven't liked us on Facebook already, do that and continue to respond and vote in the polls. It just takes a click to vote in the poll. It's not a hard thing to do. It's not very time intensive. There are a lot of things that you do that are dumber that take more time, to be quite honest. We appreciate the voting that's been increased this year. The numbers have been up in that and the responses have been good too. So uh, I'll try to ask good questions and I hope to get good answers. Thank you for listening this week to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Uh, We'll talk to you next week. And until then, enjoy the games, everybody. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode. And thanks for listening.